What is up? You are listening to the 3 and D podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lewis. You can find me on Twitter at J underscore Timberfake underscore. You can find the podcast on Twitter at 3 and D pod. We were a part of the Grizzly Bear Blues network of podcasts. You can find Grizzly Bear Blues on Twitter at SPN Grizzlies and online at grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you check out our other podcasts, the starting five. The Core 4, GBB Live, and The Long View with Parker Fleming. Due to some scheduling and working games and me having a game tonight, Ben Hogan is uh, not able to join me this week, so I have a guest on. Uh, some of some of us know him as uh, boss. Some of us know him as coach. Uh, some call him dad. I guess I have to call him the regular season champ in fantasy football. Uh, whatever you want to call him, you cannot uh, disassociate Memphis media and, and the coverage of the Grizzlies and Joe Molinax. Joe, what's up? Thanks for coming on. Well, that was lofty praise. Uh, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just basking in the glow, Justin, of being able to say that I've been right about this call me a Christmas stuff, telling everybody to be patient. Uh, this whole time they were, you know, very, very impatient and I, I feel like I've, I've been uh, I've been sent a, a a bit of manna from heaven in terms of you know people like to point out when I'm wrong. It turns out I'm right this time around. <laughs> Mister, call me a Christmas himself. Um, right. It's Patience. like you've been It's like it's like you you've been doing this for a little while, right? Yeah, like almost a decade now or something. It's strange. Which, with most people covering the Grizzlies, uh, you're you're long in the tooth compared to everybody else. I feel it every single day uh, when <laughs> when I'm talking to people like Parker Fleming, and they remind me that I could have taught them, you know, or I could have coached them, or those sorts of things. Uh, well, I'm I'm getting on in years. Yeah, well, you're not that much older than me, so I don't think you would have caught you would have coached <laughs> and taught me. So um, that makes me feel better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let, let's talk about Call Me at Christmas. Uh, we we go through this up and down stretch at the beginning of the season with John Morant, and now we're without him, and they're eight and one in this phenomenal run. And there's different factors that go into that, but kind of explain the point of waiting until Christmas and why you've taken that stance. And uh, we're you know a week and a half away from it, and kind of what you see out of this team uh, and what they're gonna be for the rest of the year. Christmas is just kind of an arbitrary date, right? Like, call me a Christmas sounds cool. Um, right. I, I, or at least to me, it sounds cool. Uh, I think it's just uh, about being patient, right? Like, you have to let this team kind of marinate and, and figure out what they are and who they are and what their strengths and weaknesses are. And especially in this time, you know, we talk about Desmond Bain. I wrote about him recently, you know, it not being an overnight success story, right? Like, he's he's worked his ass off for this. And He's been working for a long time and he's had to deal with more, you know, adversity in terms of entering the NBA, he and his fellow 2020 uh, draft class members uh, than anybody before. You know, these guys are human beings. They're dealing with all sorts of craziness in their personal lives, professional lives. I think that more than ever before, we just need to kind of take a breath. And it also feels like more than ever before, you know, Grizzlies fans are the highs and the lows and the constant uh, concern about, oh, my God, after this loss, should they fire Ty or Taylor Jenkins? And then after this win, oh, man, we're, we're going to be the four seed. And no, they're, they're regressing and progressing to the meet. They are roughly what we thought they would be. I think that they're a little bit better right in this moment 
than a lot of folks thought they would be. But that doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way. Again, I, I want to stay even keel. I want to find that middle way. And I think that that's what's realistic for this team. You know, our hope was that they would avoid the play-in or they would at least host a play-in game, maybe be that seventh seed. And, you know, that's, that's realistic for them. They're in that mix. That's in a, a possible space for them uh, more than ever before. You know, they're, they're right there in the top three or four of the Western Conference right now. But on the flip side, they're only a few games away from being in the play-in completely. The West is very jumbled at the moment. So all it'll take, as well as they've been playing these last nine or ten games, all it'll take is uh, you know five or six-game losing streak, and they're right back at square one, and people are going to want to fire Taylor Jenkins again. So I'm just interested in trying to find that middle way, not too high, not too low. You hear the players say that all the time. I've always kind of felt that way. You know, you gotta got to let things play out. You can't make a decision on anything based off of one event or one, you know, outcome in a particular game, you need larger sample sizes. And Christmas is, you know, that kind of feels like the way that the NBA has made it, you know, loading up their national schedule that day. That's almost like the official, hey, football season's almost over. You know, the regular season of football is almost complete. The NBA's here. Come check us out. You know, like their launching point. Okay, December 25th. Let's see where the team's at. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? Are they somewhere in between? And I think as of this moment, they seem like a team that could go either way. They could bank on internal development or they could try and, and bring in somebody from the outside. You can make arguments either way for that. Yeah, and there are a lot of arguments for, for both sides of that. Your, your team is really young. Um, you know, your, your two best players can't even rent a car yet. Um, and I think I, I was thinking about it on my drive in this morning, just like what kind of players John and Jen are going to be when they turn 25 years old, they're going to be monsters. Um, and the pieces that you have around that are going to matter. Um, if you're still tracking to be the four seed somehow, when you get close to the trade deadline, uh, do you become, you know, big time buyers then based on, the uh, landscape of the West and how some in uh, injuries might play out or something like that. But I think some context on what we're going through right now, especially these nine games, we've just kind of had some lineup luck. Um, we've played some bad teams in the, the Thunder and the Rockets, but then we've, we've missed guys like Joel Embiid uh, last night against the 76ers. And we've, you know, been fortunate that, you know, Jimmy Butler and his injury and hobbling around the floor, uh, so I, I don't want to, like you say, get too high or too low. I don't want to put too much stock in this eight and one streak without jaw. I think it's kind of fluky. Uh, I think the team can be this good, obviously to play that kind of defense, it, there's something there to that. Uh, but we don't, you agree that we've kind of just gotten lucky with the, the nine games that we've had in front of us. Well, I think they were due for some luck, right? Like they were in a position where, they had played a lot of good teams or they had gotten, especially in terms of shooting, you know, some teams are shooting 50% from three against them and stuff like that's not normal either. So I, I think that it's almost like they were kind of due for some positive vibes in that way to come their way. The most promising thing to me, Justin, from this, the streak is that you're not, you're a coach, you know, this defense travels, right? Like you can be good defensively, every single night, or at least competitive defensively. And that was one of the biggest concerns. Everybody thought that this team would be pretty sound on the defensive end because they have been in the past. And they were just getting waxed defensively. Like, it was bad. And a lot of that, I do believe, had to deal with your favorite player, Dylan Brooks, you know, because it's, it's not just 
execution of scheme when it comes to defense. You know this. It, it's, it's effort, especially in the NBA, especially in basketball in general. A lot of times being a good defender is just having a high motor, being in really good shape, and being tenacious with your effort. And I think those are all strengths of Dylan Brooks. And you can hate on his offensive efficiency. You can laugh at the fact that whenever somebody passes him the ball, they never expect it back. Uh, and that's, you know, I've noticed that just from watching opposing defenses. You know, that defender from the passer always helps off because he's never going to pass it back to the, to the guy that just gave him the ball. Um, you know, th th there's flaws to Dylan's game, but at the same time, you know, just as much as Jaw in a lot of ways, he is the spirit animal of this team. He's the guy that gets them going. He's the, he's the energy. He's the tone setter. And I think they miss that. So it's a lot of factors. I think Steven Adams has been better recently, and that's obviously important. I think that Jaron Jackson Jr. continues to be a revelation defensively. He continues to improve. I, I really do think they miss Dylan Brooks. And to me, the most promising thing about all of this is they're eventually going to play tougher competition. They're going to lose a couple of games in a row here in a little bit. That's all going to happen, but they can at least be competitive. They won't get blown out every night like they were for that stretch. And, and this is more, and that will be more along the lines of what we've expected, you know, being around a 500 team, maybe a little bit better. You're hoping to be that six or seven seed in the playoffs. That would be linear progression in terms of getting better every season as a team record-wise. That's what you're hoping for. That's what you're, you're wishing for. And I think that that is, from these last nine games without Moran, the biggest takeaway for me is that part of their identity is back. Yeah, I, I agree uh, with some of that. Um, defense is what travels. And we when we go on road games or we – uh, some of our JV games are like eight o'clock in the morning. It's it's tough to knock down shots at eight o'clock in the morning, being tired. Uh, but I always preach before a game: we if we control the things that we can control, we should win the game. That's things like defense and communication and effort and energy. We control those. We don't control the ref. We don't control um, shots falling. Sometimes uh, we don't control what the other team does on offense, but we do control how we communicate and how we play defense and. Um, I think the biggest part of it, too, uh, defensively, when it comes to Dylan, I, I disagree with the, this notion that he's some lockdown defender. I disagree that he's a great point of attack defender because I, I can pull up thousands of clips of him getting blown by uh, his defender. But what I think his value is, like you said, he's relentless. Um, the effort is always going to be there. So when he when he chases his defender, he's always physical with them. So when he can take the bigger wings like LeBron, the Paul Georges and those kind of guys, or then if he goes on the smaller guys like Steph or Damian Lillard, he wears them down throughout the, the course of a game. I think there's real value to that. Um, I think Jaron and his defensive impact was overlooked because of his early season offensive struggles. Uh, and then I think a part that is kind of overlooked too is the grit and grind defenses were so good because of the continuity of the roster and Mark Gasol being such a cerebral player as the anchor of the defense. And this team was adjusting to having Steven Adams uh, being in the back, communicating everything. Um, and when you, when you add somebody new to that, like it takes a second for it to gel. So I think that's part of it. But the other part of it is jaw's not perfect. And while he is a superstar headed for an all-star game, headed for possibly an all NBA team, like he, he has some work to do on the defensive end. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when he got hurt, our defense is now number one. 
because now Morant and Adams are no longer getting shredded in pick and rolls. Um, Tyus Jones is not the greatest defender either, but he's at least better on that. De'Anthony Milton and Desmond Bain and uh, Dylan Brooks do a better job of fighting over screens um, and, and protecting Adams from having to uh, play the drop coverage that he was playing. So I think that plays a role too. Um, and when you've got guys like Milton and Bain not having to play out of position defensively on the bigger guys that Brooks would normally guard, um, I think that's a factor uh, as well. But like you said, it's, uh, it's a lot of things that uh, you can control that we weren't controlling early on. And I believe that those things, they look to be fixed. Uh, and I don't imagine that Ja coming back, even with his defensive struggles at times, is really going to create that much of a fall off um, because of this guy. And I, I want to give you the floor on him because you're the one that, that gobbled up all the stock uh, when it was available. And that's Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, the, the alpha version of him has come out. Um, he is looking to be unstoppable if he continues to finish on the inside. Like what I love about him is he went one for six, one for six from three against the 76ers. But even with Andre Drummond being down there, being bigger than him, being a presence, he finished. And he's finishing over guys like Anthony Davis. Like he wasn't doing it in the past. And when his shot's not falling, he's not settling and jacking up 10 to 12 threes. He's, he's going in and he's scoring at a high rate in the paint. Let the world know about how happy you are with your stock with Jaron Jackson Jr. and just how important he is. Well, first off, I need to give a shout out to Peter Edmondson because back in 2018, when I was there, uh, we, we recorded our podcast there live, or we weren't recording, we were doing a live show from FedEx Forum for the draft. I was not as excited about selecting Jaron Jackson Jr. I, I was not super stoked about that pick because I saw him as a project and I thought the Grizzlies were still trying to win now because obviously you still had Mark Saul on the roster at the time. So at Mike Conley on the roster, Chandler Parsons, you know, you had a bunch of dudes that you, uh, I thought we were still trying to win. And I didn't know that Jaron was going to help winning immediately. And Peter of Sports 56, he said, Joe, trust me, this kid's going to be awesome. He's got defensive potential. He's got so much potential offensively. Just trust me that it's going to be okay. And I've trusted Peter Edmiston and he's, he's helped me be right about this. And I think that the biggest thing for Jaron, and you mentioned it earlier in the show, it goes along with Jaw. It goes along with DeAnthony Melton. We forget about how young Melton is. This team is so young in terms of their age. This the time they've been walking this earth. They are young. And we can't make definitive statements about any of these dudes when they're 22 and 23 years old. You would think that Memphis would have learned after the Mike Conley debacle that you don't judge somebody. Everybody can't be painted the same shade. Right. And it's true in everything. It's true with football. You know, folks talking about Micah Parsons and comparing him to Chase Young and saying how much better Micah Parsons is than Chase Young because of this number and that's that. And, you know, the, the, the development isn't the same. Micah Parsons is awesome and he deserves all the credit he's getting. But you can't just say that somebody else sucks because they're not developing at the same rate or they're further behind in their development. That doesn't make them any less good. And I think that Jaron is a good example of that. The tools were always there. The skills were always there. Health is wealth. And I think having an offseason to be able to develop his game, not have to worry about rehabbing his knee, they took lumps. You know, they, they probably could have brought Jaron back a month or two. 
to earlier than they did. But then you'd have a Porzingis situation who had a similar injury, Christoph Porzingis. And, you know, he's starting to round back into form now, but he looked pretty rough there for several months. Uh, it's almost like they brought him back too soon. The Grizzlies knew that they were going to try to, in, to max him, or not max him, excuse me, extend him. They knew they were going to try to extend his contract. And they wanted to make sure that it was the healthiest, safest, best version of him that he could be. Because again, and we've talked about this, and Parker Fleming has a podcast about it now called The Long View. They do not care in the front office about the here and now. The, the players do, the coaches do, that's great. You want to make the playoffs. Not saying that that shouldn't be a goal, especially of those two entities, the players and the coaches. The front office is interested in when Ja and Jaron and others, whoever it is that they decide, belong uh, are in their title window when they're 25 26 27 years old that's where their eyes are and when they're in their prime what is this team going to look like and that to me matters more than anything because that is what you're set yourself up for with your draft picks with your cap space all of that matters in terms of what this team's going to look like three years from now and jaron you know will be here three years from now at this point with that extension you know that he is capable of being an impact player and impact player on both ends of the floor he has athleticism he has length he has the ability to create off the dribble he's using his momentum off the dribble now you mentioned that against Embiid and Drummond uh, well not Embiid last night but uh, Drummond you mentioned with Anthony Davis he is adding layers to his game and he's not done adding layers to his game because he's 22 years old so we can't make definitive statements we got to let these guys grow and develop I'm still of the mind that they need a third man kind of trade. But, you know, folks that have been saying, why are we talking about this team needing trade? They look pretty awesome as a core right now. They have some ammunition at the moment. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is a major piece of that. So if, if we look up in February, we're still tracking four, five, six seed. And say uh, we see uh, – a Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul hamstring, and then uh, Clay Thompson isn't what he he was, and then uh, the Jazz have some type of thing go down, and there looks to be um, some type of window this year for the Grizzlies to make an Atlanta Hawks-type run. Would you, Joe Mullinax, GM of the Memphis Grizzlies, pull the trigger with all your assets on getting that third star piece to try to push this year, or are we still – just whatever happens this year happens this year. Great for the experience. We're still building for later. I think they're going to explore options. I mean, they have two expiring contracts and Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones, Jared Culver is technically an expiring contract because they didn't pick up his team option. Uh, so they, they've got money that's going to be coming off the books. And whenever you have expiring contracts, in my opinion, you know, you take the fan stuff out of it. No, I love Kyle because I do love Kyle. I love Kyle Anderson's game. I think Tyus, and, uh, Tyus Jones, excuse me, is one of the most underrated players in the NBA because I value possessions. And I know, again, you're a coach. Hopefully you, from a football standpoint, I'm the coach of that sport. I value possessions. Obviously, there's fewer of them in football. But, but I value having the basketball as a person who takes in basketball. So I value Tyus Jones. Whenever I talk about trades and, and ways to try to improve the roster, it's not that I think Tyus sucks or I think Kyle sucks. I think that in particular, especially with Tyus, they're going to get priced out. Like, why wouldn't you try to pay Tyus Jones 11 or $12 million a year to be your starting point guard 
if you have that capacity, if you have that cap space, depending on your what team you are as a potential contender, why wouldn't you throw that money at him? Why wouldn't he accept it? Because that would be the best contract he's ever gotten. And why would Memphis pay it? Because he's a backup to John Moran. So it's not a knock on Tyus to say, oh, well, they should try to trade him. Or it's not a knock on Kyle when, you know, Zach Lowe and others say he's the perfect trade candidate. It doesn't make them bad. It means that they don't necessarily fit what the team is trying to do long term. And to me, that's the difference that people really struggle with in terms of, you know, being mad when we float these trade ideas. You know, Sean Coleman, our buddy over at GBB, is the guy who's kind of taking the brunt of that today. Um, but I'm usually the one that, that takes that heat. It's about putting together a team that is going, and assets to put together that team that is going to be really, really good when John, Jaron are at their peak and whoever this third guy is, um, if that is still the move. It's also possible, Justin, to your point, that maybe they focus on getting that third man in the draft. Maybe they throw three or four draft picks at somebody, Jaden Ivey, for whatever reason, falls to number eight and they throw three first-round picks at whoever has number eight in the upcoming draft, and they move up and they go get this dude. And the third dude is in the draft. Well, now your window, again, you're, you're waiting a few years until that player, Ivy or whoever it is, uh, comes of age, so to speak, and develops. And, you know, it all comes down to what you see this roster being in the long run. I don't think they're going to do anything to sacrifice their long-term flexibility in the here and now, because at the end of the day, their two best players are 22 years old. Their two best players are 22 years old. And usually those teams are not the ones that are winning NBA championships. No, right. And I think when you look at, um, somebody said it on Twitter today. I don't remember who it was. It's just so many fan bases and medias of, of markets have too many guys that you would consider untouchable when it comes to something. And as much as we love Desmond Bain, as much as we love Brandon Clark, as much as many people love Dylan Brooks, um, if it's the trade route, I, I think that there's nobody guaranteed to be on our roster in the contending window except for Jaron and, and Ja. And um, it, that hurts for some people. And I think that's probably part of why um, Sean got the backlash that he got on uh, on Twitter today because the, the names on, that we were receiving weren't splashy names. They were role players that were going to play a, 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 an important role, but getting rid of the picks and Brandon Clark was something that didn't really sit well with people. Um, so I, I think... Well, and, I, and ironically, the Brooklyn Nets fans hated it too. That probably means it was a fair trade. That's exactly what that... Yeah, that's exactly what that means. I saw that you that you said that too. Um, and, you know, I, Joe Harris is a, is a elite shooter um has led the league in uh percentage i think last year and it may have been more than one year um and then nick nick claxon's fine i think he he would have a good role i don't think he's a a guy that you are you're not making that trade for nick claxon i think i'd rather just hang on to clark uh and they can keep claxon let's just talk about joe harris for kyle anderson and something else maybe sure that's fine um but i i think the moving up part is interesting in the draft because obviously there's no way the Grizzlies are drafting three times in this upcoming draft. They don't have the roster space for it. Um, they don't have the playing time for those three players to get the development that they need. 
Um, so I, I think that something like that is coming. Now, whether that's to package them for a, a disgruntled star on a team that's ready to rebuild, or like you said, if it's somebody dropping in the draft and uh, we're able to pull the trigger, I think that's a, a great uh, a great thought and something to keep in the mind because people are also um, overvaluing these three first round picks that we have too. They don't want to, they, they're hanging on real tight to them. And I'm just sitting here like, we're not, we're not picking all three of these. So it's, it's time to let go of them. And that Lakers pick, if it conveys this year, will at best be number 11. I believe it's top 10 protected from the Pelicans. So right. if something right. happens to the Lakers and they fall off the cliff, um, you know, the Pelicans would keep it if it was really good. So at best, that would be the 11th pick. And, you know, Utah's obviously having a heck of a season. The Grizzlies don't look to be a lottery team. So they're three picks, but they're also going to be three picks that are almost certainly, you know, outside of the lottery. Or even in the case of the Lakers pick, it would be 12 or 13 or 14 more than likely. Yeah, for sure. Um, Joe, that's really all I had. I know you're about to be there to pick up your kids, and uh, we're about to get ready for our first district game here at Carterville tonight. Anything you want to, to end with as a uh, uh, guest today? <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you to you. You know, you've done an awesome job. I, I believe you uh, had a twofer over at Grizzly Bear Blues on Tuesday. Um, it was Justin Lewis Tuesday. You've done a good job writing for us. And, you know, I haven't had a chance to be on the show very often or, you know, we, we'll text or talk every once in a while. Uh, but I, I just wanted to say thank you. You know, you do an awesome job for us, you and Ben with this show. And, and you as a writer overall. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that when people think or see GBB, you know, I'm kind of the face of it just because I'm so old and I've been doing this too damn long. Um, but I try to tell people every chance I get that we're a team. You know, I'm fortunate to be at the front of the ship, but I've got you, I've got Ben, I've got Parker and Brandon and Sean and Brendan and Nate, even though he drives me crazy. <laughs> you know, so many talented folks, you know, the Starting Five podcast is one of my favorite listens every week. And, you know, there's so many parts of GBB that make us who we are. And I think we're one of the very best at covering the Memphis Grizzlies organization. You know, regardless of being a fan blog, you know, I've taken a lot of pride in, in building up what we've got. And you're a big part of that. So thank you. Make sure you're checking out Justin's work and, and all of our work over at grizzlybearblues.com. We've got new stuff coming out every day. Yeah, well, I, same to you. Thank you for uh, taking a chance on bringing me over from uh, a different fan site. Uh, and you, you're you in trusted. a better place yeah i'm in a much better place um <laughs> and you, you i mean you put a lot of trust in parker and nate you know given you know they gave their word to to bring me over and i appreciate every opportunity that i have because really um i gave up on this um dream of mine to be a sports writer uh in about uh, about the year 2009 uh figured that wasn't gonna be the route i was gonna go and uh, at the very least, I get to do it as a hobby, um, covering the team that I've loved since since day one. So I, you know, appreciate you and all the growth that you've helped me experience. And um, I am—I told you the other day—I am a GBBer for life. Um, and I, you know, you—you you hooked me up to cover a game uh, on the sideline and in the locker room one time. That's a dream come true, and uh, I could never say thank you enough for that. Happy to do it, buddy. Thank you for having me. And uh, hopefully folks will continue to listen and uh, read our stuff. And, you know, it's going to get interesting these next couple of months. It's my favorite time of the year, Justin, trade season. I can't wait to uh, 
piss off the fan base even more than they already are. <laughs> well, there you have it. That was Mr. Call Me at Christmas, the uh, regular season winner of the GBB Fancy Football League. And don't uh, you forget it. <laughs> There's some history there. The last two seasons, I picked Joe to finish in the bottom two or three, and uh, he makes sure to remind me at the end of the regular season that, you know what, he's the football coach, so you know he should right. be winning, right? I yeah, I should at least be in the top two or three. If I'm not, then something went wrong. You guys don't take enough running backs, man. You you guys don't take enough running backs. Always take the running back. He had Jonathan Taylor, and that, that man sure carried did. Joe. Golly, that man carried Joe to the finish line. And uh, it'll be interesting to see between him and uh, Parrish who, who pulls this thing off. Uh, for Joe, uh, I am Justin. This has been another episode of the 3 in the podcast. Make sure you check out our other uh, podcast throughout the week. Check out our, our daily work that goes up at grizzlybearblues.com and we'll catch you guys next week.